All right, welcome to the Serendipity soundtrack, Remy Storak, and my first guest, the guy who I probably brag about the most, and that's not um, an exaggeration by any point, Marcus Benez, uh, Unlikely Brothers. And uh, I'd like to introduce you as the drug dealer that I graduated with, who cooked me taquitos at our bushfire parties, um, who just, our lives kind of collided uh, once again in a completely different way when our identities and had entirely shifted like five years down the road and so i just want to say welcome thank you for being my first guest it's awesome to have you buddy yeah thank you thank you yeah it's a it's an honor to be here as uh numero uno i'm super excited to uh you know just catch up chit chat answer whatever questions you have and overall just maybe learn a little bit from each other and teach each other some new things. I feel like that's usually what happens every time we meet up. So every time. <laughs> excited to, uh, excited to see what we can, what we can come up with. No doubt. Okay. Well, you have been a man. I always say, well, I even forgot to say this. This is the serendipity soundtrack pumping color into the world with every heartbeat. And you have been a man of many colors and many hats. Mm. And so would you be open to like drawing out the many different identities that you have had along the way? Oh, damn, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it depends on like what point in my life that you caught me at. Um, you know, like I think at uh, one point when I was younger, I had like the angsty emo phase. And, um, you know, then uh, as I started to get a little bit older, I started to kind of mature into some a uh, little bit more like harder personalities and roles, which is interesting. So um, like there was always the, the drug dealer per, uh, persona, um, you know, wannabe gang manger, um, you know, those kind of things. But then also like sophisticated businessman, entrepreneur, hippie, you know, all of these things. And it was interesting, too, because like I think I played a lot of those roles like at the same time. So I don't. I've said this to a few people before and I'm pretty sure I've said it to you, but maybe not to your viewers. They wouldn't have maybe potentially heard this, but I used to keep like different outfits in my car. Um, you know, like to, if I was going to see different groups of friends for that night, like, you know, if I was going to see like my, you know, gang member friends, maybe I'd put on like my cut or I'd wear some, like, or put my gold teeth in and then go see some like millionaire entrepreneur guys. And then I'd put on my suit and tie and like talk business and like, like no money in my bank account. Um, and you know, all of these things. And it was, it was crazy because me and my one friend, Sheldon, our friend Sheldon, um, we used to make jokes that with all these characters we used to play, it would be really funny if we ran into, went into a party and then there was like someone that knew me as all these different identities, but each knew me only as one, which character would I choose to play? Um, so that was always kind of an interesting dilemma that I think kind of kept me in like fear and tension for a long time of us like, you know the question begs if I haven't seen somebody in a while, it's like, who does this person remember me as? Um, you know, what role do I have to slip back into? And, you know, such as the, the burden of like social chameleonism to affect, right. Is that like, never having any sort of like fixed ideals or identities and just kind of going with the wind um, also makes it so that like your, your morals and your priorities and all these things are always constantly shifting too. Right. So there's, yeah. it's definitely like a good source for no object permanence in your life. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely want to get into the conversation of authenticity later, as that was an evolution of yours for sure, because you're like, I, I can be all of these people, but have not chosen one to be rock solid in every room. Mm -hmm. And so as your progression from being drug dealer to now sponsoring over 100 individual addicts, 
what was your flip switch moment that was painful enough that you shifted, you know, the entirety of your life out of all of these many hats to becoming one man? Yeah, for sure. So, um, in 2018, um, I decided to kind of get sober and turn my life around. And, um, the, the, I guess the catalyst for that is, uh, I tried getting sober about a year prior to that point. Um, and managed to string together about just short of three months, um, through like sheer self-will and stubbornness. Um, and that was pretty much the only thing it wasn't like, you know, goaded by, um, wanting to do something with my life or wanting to become better. I think it was just, I didn't want to lose resources that I had, you know, financial relationship, property, whatever. Um, fast forward to a year later after that 90 days sober, I didn't draw a sober breath for a year straight and, uh, through everything I didn't lose yet during the course of that year, I did, um, like put myself in mountains of debt, you know, my, uh, you know, partner at the time, uh, left me and I, and I found out, you know, that, uh, most of my friends were going to write me off. My family had written me off. Um, I had nowhere left to stay. Um, and just life literally seemed like there was just absolutely no way of getting out of it. Um, you know, I'd been in depression and, and stuff for quite a while. And, you know, I think it just, everything kind of came to a, to a head all at the same time. And I got overwhelmed and I tried to take my life on August 11th of 2018. Um, woke up in the hospital after that confused, puzzled, humiliated, terrified. And, uh, I don't know, something just kind of awoken me. Um, I just realized that like, you know, this life that we have here is so finite and I was this close to throwing it all out the window um, just because I was overwhelmed with the mess that I myself had created and uh, I didn't want to live like that anymore but I was kind of in this weird spot where I couldn't imagine life that looked any different than the one that I had but I also couldn't imagine continuing on as I had previously so I was really at this like jumping off place um, where my, and my sponsor says that. I don't know if I can swear on this show can I swear Please. <laughs> yeah. He, he says fuck or walk. Right. And it was really like a, like a fuck or walk kind of scenario here. Mm -hmm. Where it's just like, yeah, you're going to like, you know, nut up or shut up kind of thing. And I, um, just strictly out of fear decided to start putting myself into treatment. Um, or I did detox and treatment, you know, then working with other addicts and alcoholics and having them teach me how they got sober. And, uh, somewhere along that process, like I just found like a passion for, helping other people, which I think I owe a large part of my personal rehabilitation and change um, actually to helping people rather than the being helped part. Um, I would say that that's probably done more for me in my own personal life um, than any amount of personal development has is my, my willingness to try and assist the next person, try and help them out of what I came out of. It's just been absolutely monumental. So yeah, that was kind of like the catalyst moment was, was, was that point. Definitely. And me and you have spoke about it many times that if it was down to me trying to convince myself that I myself am worth fighting for, we're in a state where we're like, that's not enough. It's got to mm. be for somebody else mm. because, you know, we need to justify our existence as men essentially to be of service. But when we don't believe that we are of value, then of course we go back to our crutches and, uh, yeah, just feeling good rather than being good. And so before we get into the, like the servitude part of that, um, there's this other saying that's like, if you're trying to quit something and you're having difficulty, it's because one part of your personality actually loves the thing that you are trying to convince yourself that you hate. Mm 
And 100%. so a part of this personality that you were trying to get sober and stuff, like there was glamorous elements uh, that were built into who you were. And so like, what was the glamour of your life at that point that was uh, so compelling that bro drove you to that point, but then the pain became greater than, um, yeah, what was sustainable? Yeah, power. That's that that was the one thing that I, I had always felt powerless, like throughout my um, like preteen and early teenage years, because like I was a scrawny kid. Um, you know, I look different than other people dressed different. I hung out predominantly with women when I was growing up. Um, so I always got a hard rap for that. Um, I got like hassled a lot by, you know, guys that were bigger or tougher than me or anything like that. And uh, I just remember when I first started getting around people that like sold drugs and stuff, the looks people gave me started to change, right? Uh, people started wanting to mess with me less. All of a sudden, people that used to give me a really hard time were acting like they were my friend um, and all these things. And I just felt like I was powerful. And it, and it really got to my head after a while. Like I started to get to a point where I was like, I really believe I could do no wrong. And that the further that I went into this, it's that like the more that people would respect me. And yeah, I did gain respect from people, but like they weren't really the people that I would should have wanted respect from in the first place, right? And I think that it's hard to see that though, because when you're not used to having it, I'll take it from whoever, right? Like whoever is willing to to give me the time of day, whoever is willing to look up to me and make me feel important, make me feel powerful, make me feel attractive, whatever it is, um, I'll give them whatever they want. And I think that, uh, yeah, that was that was probably the, the biggest element. It, it allowed me to be. Um, the person that I always needed mm. for myself when I was younger, um, you know, somewhat like a, like a protector kind of vibe or someone that, you know, would, you know, make sure that harm didn't come to me or whatever. It's like, I was looking for all that in a version of myself through all the wrong means. Um, if that, if that makes sense. Dude, we don't even talk incredibly often, but that was like, Oh, here's another foundational point that people try to become who they did not have as kids. And I love mm -hmm. having that conversation because it has to come with a very like deep reflection. It's hard to say the things that you don't have as a kid because it's all that you know, mm -hmm. but to be able to say like, I am compensating for the subconscious lack that I know I do have. And mm -hmm. so to say power just as a blanket statement in feeling powerless and then shifting that identity entirely from having power to feeling powerless fundamentally and not fighting for yourself, but having to fight for other people. But when you don't have that identity of being a valuable man and you have to surrender power itself mm. to become somebody new, like yeah. share that journey. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. Cause I, th I think that everything about changing my life was like, fundamentally felt like the polar opposite of what I thought I was supposed to do to achieve all the things I've always wanted. Um, it's that I've always more or less kind of had an idea of like the things that I'd want in life. Um, I just always went about it in the wrong way. And I always attacked them head on with like full effort in the wrong direction. Um, and me trying to apply things by, by my means and the way that I think they're supposed to work out and things like that. Um, trying to like muster up power that I didn't have and not being able to just like be willing and accept it and learn to grow in spite of that. And maybe try and attack it from a new angle. I would just beat my head on, on a wall repeatedly and just wonder why things weren't changing. Um, 
to a point where it's like I come in this time around and I start trying to change some things in my life. And I think that where I started to gain real power is in acknowledgement of the things that I don't have power over um, was when it was, which is ironic because it's like, the, if you think about it, it's like I gain power from admitting I don't have any yeah. um, seems so it seems like an oxymoron. Like it doesn't make sense. Like even when I look at that on paper, I'm like, yeah, it don't, doesn't make sense, but it works. Um, and, and that's the thing is I just started relinquishing power that I realistically never had in a lot of these areas. As soon as I do that, I'm in a position to like change from it. Like when I admit finally, hey, I can't do this getting sober thing on my own. Until I admitted that, I was never going to get sober. As soon as I said it, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Here's a bunch of people that are willing to help. Here's some resources. Here's the power that you didn't have that you've always were acting like you did. And now everyone's going to jump in to give it to you, right? Because you said you didn't have any. And until I was able to do that, it's like, Boom. And then it, as soon as I started like relinquishing control, taking my hands off the wheel a little bit. Um, yeah, things started to change. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting the way that it panned out. And sometimes even looking back, I give myself a little chuckle. I'm like, oh, wow, if only I would have thought about that sooner. <laughs> yeah. I'm just reading this book called People of the Lie, The oh. Hope to Cure Human Evil. And it's the psychologist story of many people who just passed off their ignorance as the appropriate reason to act cowardly and mm. maliciously in the world. Um, but he was saying among many things that naming your problem is claiming it, but to say like, Oh, I don't know. Like ignorance is bliss. I'll just keep it then. Right. But to mm. say like, Oh, I do have a problem. I am an addict or a pornographer or whatever the yeah. case may be. It's now I have a direct thing to attack. But as long as people allow themselves to never identify the problem, they're just like, it's just me fundamentally. You know, you can't attack something that you can't see. Right. It's like chasing ghosts. And until you uh, until you put a face to your enemy, it's like the, it'll only ever be that. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. And you say one of my favorite things that if we're not empower each empowering each other, we're essentially co-signing each other's bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so... What was the first few things that uh, really made you feel vulnerable, I guess, that somebody wasn't co-signing your bullshit? You know, actually, I remember um, the very first, like, impactful one I had where I realized that was the kind of, like, support that I needed and wanted was I was in, this was when I was in treatment, um, or, if, you know, for anyone that's listening abroad, rehab, um, and... Uh, we were me and some of the guys were kind of fucking around and we were having a cigarette outside and uh, taking our time lollygagging getting in. And uh, we came into the afternoon class a little bit late and the counselor said something to us that at first I got pissed, right? Cause I was like, who does this guy think he is? He says, if you guys aren't serious about being here, why are you wasting a bed for someone who's literally dying to get in? <laughs> right. And at first I was just like, man, fuck this guy. And then like, as I sat there quietly brooding about how much of a jerk he was for the first like couple minutes. And then I realized I'm like, how many friends have I lost to this? Mm. How many of them that I wish were here right now? How many of them might be here if they got into a place like I'm in right now? And then I referred to, and I remembered what he asked me. If I'm not serious about being here, what am I doing wasting a bed for someone who's literally dying to get in? 
And I thought about that and I'm like, yeah, if I don't take this seriously and if I don't do something about it, I'm literally spitting in the face of anyone that's never made it here. And like, I don't, I'm not, that doesn't sit right with me. Um, and in that moment I realized like, oh damn, like, like maybe I need people like this. Maybe I need people to say things like this to me. People that I know it comes from a good place. And maybe I don't agree with their delivery method at the time, but I know that it comes out of my best interest. Um, so I started actively seeking out people like that. Like my sponsor, oof, man, he he can be a scary guy sometimes, but like for all the right reasons, right? Like he's not the kind of guy, he, he doesn't say anything that's rude, like rude unnecessarily. He's just very blunt with me, right? Um, and I can tell when I'm living in something that I realistically shouldn't be, whether it's like a behavior or a way of thinking, train of thought, whatever you name it, by my reluctance to reach out to him. Because if I know what I'm about to get is going to be the cold, hard truth, unequivocally, like, and factually correct of what I'm doing in all its actuality with zero co-signing my bullshit, if I don't want to hear anything other than keep doing what you're doing, I don't want to call him. Mm. And I think that even that, when I have that initial thought that I shouldn't call him, instantly I know I'm like, I I should definitely call him then. Right. And I think that that's cool because knowing that I have people in my life helps me make that distinction. Because if I have people that like, uh, I don't have any friends I can complain to. I'll put it that way. Okay. I don't, I don't need friends I can complain to. I need friends that will hear me complain and then make, and then ask me what I'm going to do about it. Yes. Right. And that it's, it's way different and it's cool too. Cause like my friendships, because they're built on that, that founding cornerstone, um, there's never going to be a misunderstanding if, if I was to call one of my friends out or if they were able to call me in, it's so, it's so much more freeing, man. It's like, honestly, I couldn't tell you how nice it is. No doubt. And as you became, I don't want to say a safe space because when I was the one with a little bit of bullshit per se, but you were the guy who could like handle me some, some actual feedback for a very long time when I was like, 20 to 23 ish let's say um life had just dealt me enough trauma and therefore wisdom in my suffering that i was kind of the highest uh denominator among people that i could speak to and so when it came to me needing help i didn't quite have people in my corner um that could speak to it so profoundly but to Mm -hmm. have somebody like you who was like actually in the thick of it that was interested in a progressive conversation and not just kind of like uh uh trauma dumping on each other essentially mm-hmm. and you know no there's yeah. this isn't the state of being that you have to commit to like the most sinister thing about your excuses is that they could be validated mm-hmm. and then but oh is that the truth that you really want to live out is this the best story that you possibly mm-hmm. have to offer yourself and your future loved ones yeah um but with that would you say that your relationship with that feedback went from probably terror at first because you're like oh my sponsor will have the information that i need but it means i have to change do something more better um but now it's something that you actively seek of like oh this is actually there's so much fruit to be had in me having this vulnerability that somebody could expose a useless part of me so i can prune it off you know Hmm. Yeah. So one thing I talk with people a lot about, about that exact thing about like, <clears throat> what does it look like for me to change my relationship for like starting to actively seek out the feedback? 
is that anytime you're faced with a choice involving like defect of character, um, there's really only two potential outcomes and both of them are types of pain. So one of them is the uncomfortability of trying to do the right thing. And the other one is the certain penalties of failing to do so. Mm. Right. So if I get to choose, if I know that pain is guaranteed in some form or another, but I can always choose the lesser of the two pains, why don't I do that? Right. Because I'd rather deal with it. We do. But but here's the thing is that my my initial thought doesn't change. Right. I think a lot of times where um, people can get really hard on themselves with this specific thing is assuming that like my first thought towards like reaching out or getting feedback whether like the first thought is whether I, I want to do it or not, mm. I cannot want to do it and do it anyways. Right. So I judge my intent. I don't judge myself by my intention or my motive. I judge myself by the action that I take afterwards. So what is the second thought, which is like, maybe the first one's like, yeah, I don't want to call my sponsor. I don't want to call my pillar. I don't want to call someone and get a perspective on this. Sure. That's my first thought. Those thoughts pop in regardless. I can't control that. The second thought, which is, well, yeah, but I'm going to anyways. That's the one that I can start to learn to control, right? And as these things kind of start to come on and it's like slowly but surely over time is I start closing the gap. That's really all I've done to work at this is that maybe I'll let myself sit in it when I first started this journey for for a week on something before talking to someone about it. Maybe that's how it started. But now where I'm at now, it's like I don't want to sit in something for more than 30 minutes, Mm. right? Because if I have the opportunity and like, what I've seen happen time and time again is like after I go and gain perspective on one of these things and talk it out with someone, maybe realize it's not the end of the fucking world. All of that time I would have spent brooding or like in self-loathing or despair or depression. It's like if that can be completely reduced and my whole day flipped around and almost like my day started anew, why would I put that off? Right? Like if I have the opportunity right now that I basically my choice is be miserable for the rest of the day or Take 15 minutes and call somebody. Yeah. It's, it seems like a no brainer on paper, but it doesn't make me want to do it anymore, which is like the interesting thing about how my mind tries to actively work against me sometimes. Right. So instead of trying to not do that altogether, my focus has been on closing the gap. No doubt. And then what you said was quite fascinating, actually, because I found myself wanting to hear people's like, there's like the fuck yes or the fuck no filter of life. Do you like mm. at your core of your being really want something or is the hesitation a little bit more powerful? You know, if you're uh, deciding between two different places, you flip a coin, but in the middle of the air, you kind of have a feeling in your gut of what you, what head, what side of the coin you want it to land on to make the decision. Right. And, but there's something more intelligent about, Oh, I actually don't, trust myself fundamentally when it comes to my well-being because i've driven that truly pure like selfish desire and so i need to hand over my well-being to somebody that i really trust who really has uh Mm. my best well-being at heart because you can say oh the first thought is the authentic one but no there's actually a lot of probably fruitful processing that could come as you sitting on it for a little while but at the end of it if you don't trust yourself you need somebody who's ahead of the game that has the results that could really speak to becoming the person you want to be, who's actually there already. Right. So the one, the one way that I kind of look at it and the reason why I utilize other people 
um, is not because like I don't want to have like introspection. It's not it's not like that either. Um, it's it's that I want my introspection to be guided, right? So it's um, let's say that all the people I surround myself with were were connected under the assumption that we're all dedicated and connected to some higher purpose. Right. And in these moments when I'm living in any form of like self-centeredness or selfishness or whatever it is, I'm operating off the assumption that I am therefore disconnected from my higher purpose. Right. So if I'm disconnected from my higher purpose and I want the quickest path to get back to it, why don't I lean in on someone who's not disconnected? Mm. Right. Maybe I'll borrow a little bit of their connection to try and bear fruit to my own garden again. And then we can go back to being on a level playing field. So it's, like everyone's got full cups every now and then a little bit spills out of somebody's the other person replenishes them and then we go around the circle and continue to do so and it's not one-sided i think it's a really effective way to kind of build a community of people that are dedicated to like fostering growth in each other um but that's under the assumption too that all of these people are connected to a higher purpose so like my vetting process for the type of people that i want to do these do this kind of thing with and like lean on and, and get that vulnerable with is also follows a pretty rigid like set of guidelines Mentally, anyways, it's not like I have like a full like written checklist I do for everybody, but I can get a pretty good vibe after like, you know, a couple conversations with you when I see how you interact with people that aren't me, um, mm. how I see you treat service staff, um, how like, you know, all these little nuanced things where I can start to pick up different parts of your personality and decide to like, okay, you know, does this person stick with what they say? You know, does this person, you know, talk poorly about people when they're not in the room? all these things, they start to kind of add up to my perspective on you. And then I decide if you're going to be that person in my life or not. No doubt. That's a pretty wonderful segue of the skill sets that you need to be somebody of service. And mm. I once upon a time asked you, and I, with, we were talking to me, you and Sheldon, and you made me emotional with your answer. <laughs> um, but when it comes to making an appropriate distance with somebody if you're a sponsor with a sponsee addict and mm. for anybody who has a relationship with somebody where they may be i don't want to say the higher power but the mentee position who has somebody leaning on them uh mm. cares can have a tendency to have more hope for somebody than they may have for themselves so how do you emotionally protect yourself um when it comes to somebody not fighting for themselves as hard as they were fighting uh, yeah, not fighting as hard for themselves as you would hope they would. And mm. you answered along the lines with, at what capacity can I be here for you to say, you make the decision of how I can support you. So you are the hero of the story still. You give me a safe place to um, to operate from as like an actual barrier. Anything more than that or less than that is like breaking the friendship mentee contract per se. Mm. Um but as to, yeah, keep people as the hero of their own story. And you had like a really wonderful way of approaching that. And as you said, like a vetting process to see people's character. And if they were serious about taking care of themselves, I'd love for you to share some of that. Yeah, I think I think a big thing, too, for, for that kind of relationship to um, you know, be, be properly founded. Uh, there, there's a couple things that's that's necessary for that. And I think the first thing is that. Um, for whatever it is that they're looking for help with is that the message that I'm supposed to deliver them, it comes from a place of depth and weight, right? So what I mean by depth and weight is knowledge and experience, those things tandem, right? So it's like, yes, I, I maybe it would seem that I understand what I'm talking about. 
um, but also that like it's clear that I myself have jumped in the ring with some of the things you're battling with um, and that I've come out on the other side so that I'm in a position where maybe you can trust some of the things that I say. I think that that, that founding principle has to be established first. Otherwise, I don't feel like we can get very far. Um, then after that point, I think it's just like clearly setting out and laying and, and these expectations and boundaries that are designed ideally to uh, protect both parties, right? So, um, you know, sometimes, and this is, it, it may sound harsh, sometimes the best thing that can happen to someone who's an addict or an alcoholic is consequences. Um, so laying out and establishing in the beginning, and I think it's very important before I start working with, an, with a new addict or alcoholic, what the consequences of like fucking around is going to be, right? Is this like, yeah, man, like, you know, you got three strikes and then you have to find somebody else to work with. And what does those three strikes entail? It looks like, you know, canceling without notice. It looks like, you know, constantly coming to me with the same problem, um, asking for a solution to it and then never applying it. Um, you know, there's going to be a few of these instances and I'll be pointing to you out when these things are happening. Um, but if, you know, if, it, if things persist that way, then, you know, we'll have to have a conversation about maybe going separate ways. Um, and the reason why I do that is like from the get go is that one is that these people need to know what they're getting into with, right? Is that they need to understand like, Hey, okay, we're going to work together. It's like, I want to lay all of my cards out on the table. I know that they might not lay out all their cards on the table in the beginning, but if in a show of good faith, if I'm willing to lay it all out on the table, they can choose to do it or not, right? Like you said, the ball has to be in their court. Because yeah. um, these ha these are decisions, but especially with I, what I've come to understand with addiction, just with my personal struggles and the guys that have helped, is that they need to be in the driver's seat, right? Because what it feels like being on the receiving end of a crippling drug addiction for, you know, years, decades, whatever, is that they felt like they're in the backseat of their own life for the long yeah. time, right? So for this, it's like the symbolic value of them being in the driver's seat of their recovery holds a lot of weight with them. Um, so, you know, allowing them to to choose like, yeah, you know what, I've, Marcus has told me what it's going to look like to work with him. It's like, I'm, I get to choose whether or not that's what I want. And if they say that's what they want, I have a leg to stand on later when I try to enforce some of these consequences that were agreed on. Because um, if I don't say these things, then I say, hey, man, you're kind of fucking around. They'll be like, oh, wait, what? Like, we, we never talked about that. Because um, um, I, I know I would say something like that uh, back in the day, right? But then... Uh, it, it can be hard, man. Like, you know, I've worked with a lot of guys where just for some reason, and I can't wrap my head around it, I just really, really, like more than average want to see this person succeed. Um, someone just, just like completely grabs a hold of my heart. And then like, if they fail, um, it devastates me, right? And I've had to layer in this um, progressive system of letting them into my life in order to circumvent that. Um, I remember when my first guy that I was working with to try and help him get sober, when the first one died that I was actively working with, um, like he was only an 18 year old kid. So it, and it, it hurt because like, I, I really liked this kid. He was like, he was funny. He was really nice, super polite. He had the same taste of music that I did. So we would talk about that sometimes together. Um, and yeah, it just, it just broke me. And I, it, I realized after that, it's that I gave him all of me from the beginning. And it sounds kind of like cold and callous, but um, the approach that I found most successful in these situations, because you're dealing with, um, you know, your people are letting you into the darkest parts of their lives. They're letting you know so much of them um, that 
I in turn give them myself slowly. In the beginning, it's like it's we're very business, right? And it's it's very like, okay, yeah, we're here to do this, and and that's what it is. You know, I'm like I don't say it in a rude way that I'm not their friend or anything, but they understand that this is a business relationship in the beginning. Um, slowly as things kind of progress and I start seeing them make effort in their own lives, they'll know more about me. Um, you know, like usually when I start working with a guy, like uh, a big thing I stayed away from in the beginning was like, I never told them how old I was. Um, mm. you know, and, and that was just one thing too, because a lot of the guys that I've worked with and helped get sober were like two or three times my age when I first started sponsoring. Right. So these were not things that I wanted to just add really broadcast be like hey man yeah i know you're 65 and i'm only 22 and i'm here to fucking tell you how to live your life um <laughs> you know like i i didn't think it served any good purpose so i found that like it was it was cool though with those guys when they made it to the end they'd be like okay like now you're gonna tell me how old you are but yeah you know what i'm i'm, I'm in my 20s right yeah. like, oh wow i never would have known <laughs> right um but yeah slowly let them in bit by bit and then by the time they're they're completed the work that's necessary and they're starting to help people of their own, we're friends now, mm. right? Um, some of the guys that I've worked with and helped get sober as well, um, we're doing that together for other people now, right? And that's, that is such a cool experience to like, not only get a front row seat to the greatest show on earth, which is watching somebody turn their life around, um, is to then get to partner up with them when they're on the other side of it and do that for other people. Dude, that shit, that's the funky magic right there, bro. That's what that's, that's what we're after. <laughs> the funky magic. That's right, man. Yeah. Um, and it really, I, I try to have like one liners of like, you can't take advice of courage from cowards. Like we are all the walking wounded and you have to trust somebody who actually walks with a limp and can kind of show you the limp. Yeah. I am not perfect, man. And it is because of this limp that I can actually potentially speak into your life because I see that you have the same limp, but you, for whatever reason, feel obligated as if like you, you are more powerful to pretend as if you don't have the limp. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but what were the primary skill sets that you had to develop in yourself to be somebody who could like build proper boundaries and, you know, the communication skills we had like the evolution of, because you can't just be like, oh, I am sober now and that's enough. Like there's a whole universe of yeah, yeah. personalities that are colliding that, uh, yeah, come in the funky magic that uh, if I do this <laughs> properly, it's not just like um, you can be the right man, but you can also say like, oh, I'm actually not uh, the right fit and I have to pass you off to somebody who has like a more authentic um the collaboration with you because you can't be that person for everyone. Hmm. So I think like if I can chalk it up to there's two specific things that I had to work on um, developing a new, um, which would have been humility, number one. And then the second one would have been altruism. Um, and for those that are not familiar with the word altruism means the unselfish devotion to the welfare, well-being and happiness of others. Um, those two things had to be like pillars of my life and my character. But it, interestingly uh, enough, like I thought all the things necessary to be someone of, of good moral standing would have to be all new things that I was going to develop. 
um, which was really cool when I started to dig in on some personal inventory and start to work with some people that could help me, you know, analyze my past from a different perspective and all these things is that it wasn't so much as me to like getting an entirely new skill set, but it was taking all of these God given gifts that I had that I was like contorting and misusing for selfish gain um, and like repurposing them. Right. So, you know, for example, like maybe the um, like the gift of uh, like anger, right? Is like anger doesn't necessarily seem like a gift when you're using it to lash out on people and all these other things, right? But what is that in its intended form? Because it was given to me for a reason. Well, maybe it allows me to stand up for myself when somebody's stepping on my boundaries. Yes. Maybe that's the proper use of that thing, right? Um, you know, or for example, uh, like greed. Like what would be a proper use of greed? Okay, well, maybe that's just ambition to be some, like to, to succeed and to take care of myself and those around me, right? And all of these things and their intended purposes. Um, the measure of whether or not those gifts become defects depends on mm -hmm. how much I let them blindfully drive me, right? Um, and that was the big turning point for me is when I got to discover that it's like not all of me is bad. It's just that me in the wrong amounts is bad. So I had to figure out what the what the proper intended use of all these things was. But two things that I lacked entirely in the beginning, for sure, was was humility and altruism. Like I had never been um, someone that was very humble in the sense of um, when I think of humility, I don't think of it as just um, thinking. I don't think of it as thinking less of yourself. Um, I think it is me thinking of myself less. Mm. Right. So I'm less concerned with me um, and I don't th and I try not to think about me all the time. Right. And that's the perspective of just trying to right size myself in comparison to society at large, right size myself in comparison to, you know, God's universe, right size myself in comparison to everything is understand where I fit in the in the puzzle um, and not to think that I'm bigger or smaller than I am in that in whatever role I'm supposed to play in any given time. Because um, like humility, like if we look at it in terms of pride being the opposite of it, um, there's also pride to the maximum in the other direction, which is pride in reverse, right? Where I start to think that I'm, you know, the worst person that there ever was. And, you know, I don't deserve to change and all these things. And it still comes from a place of me being strictly concerned with myself at a very high level. Um, so that was one thing. And then the, the nature of altruism, I mean, like I've always been a selfish, self-centered person for as long as I can remember, right? No matter how much things affected other people, the only person I'm really thinking about who it affects is me. Um, and I don't think that that's specifically relative to just addicts and alcoholics. I think like the greater part of the world to, you know, to a greater or lesser degree deals with that to some degree is that not able to see the reality of everyone's individual unique experiences and only focusing on mine as the individual. Um, but the level at which I took it is very high, right? Is that it's almost like Machiavellian in the the sense of that I'm willing to, you know, exploit, step on your toes, whatever, lie, cheat, and steal to get what I want from you um, without a thought in my mind about, like, how my behaviors, my actions uh, affect you or what their consequences are going to be for me or for you. Um, so that was a relatively new concept of, like, just trying to do things for other people without expecting anything in return. Um, best thing I ever heard about that was in a podcast one time. They called it doing something nice and trying to get away with it. Mm. Um, and I've just always stuck with that like they told a little joke on that podcast i think it was called the milk and whiskey podcast but they said uh 
imagine like you're at your parents' house and you you take the garbage out for them and they ask you if you did it. You're like, no, fuck, I don't know who did that. And I just started laughing so hard. I'm just like, yeah, trying to hide. You took out the garbage, right? But like the the core principle of just like not everything nice has to be broadcasted. Like you don't like in terms of the things that I need to get out of doing something nice for someone, just the self-satisfaction or the feeling that I get is more than enough. It doesn't need to be praise from other people. It doesn't need to be financial. It doesn't need to be them owing me a favor. None of that, right? And some days I won't even get the feeling, right? But what matters most is that like the days where I get nothing out of it, in fact, where potentially if it has um, a chance to get in the way of the things that I think that I want, then do I still do it? That's the measure of whether or not I'm committed to that. Mm. That was really wonderfully said about like the altruism and like the undercover goodness, like the undercover philanthropy. Um, this was really fundamental for me because a lot of people can mask their selfless and their goodness as um, a bid for leverage on people. Is if like, oh, I'll, I'll be selfless and I'll give you these gifts. But then when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, but you remember those things that I did for you? It's time for you to pay me back. Mm. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that that actually came with a, a factor of guilt that you were going to inevitably hang over me. Yeah. Um, but to do that thing for the sake of itself and to say, like, this is who I fundamentally am as a person. And the experience of me is a state of overflow, but not that I do something to then later hang it over your head. Yeah. And that in itself kind of embeds in you that I am somebody of value so much. So to the fact that I can overflow and that is my pleasure because what I can't keep it all to myself. It's actually lesser. So because I'm not giving it away, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. You articulate that also well, as well as like the, the sins per se, pride and wrath um, to like all these feelings are going to be felt anyways, but there's been a, a stigma, let's say, that those feelings of ambition to have money is unholy or something as if like only rich people um, or like those people are unholy because they did it by unethical means, let's say. And so like yeah. the holy or uh, the good people are always end up poor as if like, oh, I'm supposed to be because if I have too much, I have to give it away. But then that creates the identity that you can only ever just be above baseline and like, if you can't ever like actually surpass that to a deep enough degree, then you can only like give for a day or two before you're actually like scrounging around to just survive again yourself. And you're not going to be quite stable enough to be somebody that other people can lean on because you kind of have like an underlying chaos in your own life. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you can't transmit something you do not have. Right. No doubt. So like, and if I want to be in a position to affect more people positively, is I also need to further myself in life too, right? So um, just look at what you're doing right now. It's like you're, you know, you're putting together, you know, a podcast and you're going to have this touch the the lives of, you know, potentially many, many people. Um, but what does it take to make this this happen, right? It takes buying podcasting equipment. It takes paying for a, a subscription to, you know, the broadcasting software. It takes potentially putting money into marketing and all these things. So like, I think that it's understanding the reality of the situation is that like, there's a certain degree of everything that's that's intended. And then there's the degree at which we have the potential to take it when we're living and going about it in the wrong way. And it's just the perspective of just trying to see it's like how much of these things is necessary 
and how much of it is living in extravagance and, and how much of it is ambition versus how much of it is greed and just trying to have the most realistic percep uh, perception about those things you can. Um, because too far one way or too far the other, neither of them are not re are realistic. No doubt. Yeah, there's a, uh, an endless balance in play and it feels like it keeping it all together all the time is just unfathomable and so people who say that they're together all the time they're kind of like i don't know if i can trust you then because i know that's <laughs> not the fact you know yeah. i and if i think that's only possible if you're not really striving because you've kind of hit like a very easy baseline but if you have an actual genuinely challenging goal that you're striving toward you're on the edge of getting your ass kicked all the time and those are oh, the people yeah. that i trust more who have a little bit more chaos in their life and then they have a good attitude about failing every now and then because they're like oh i choose my pain rather than like just being in a baseline survival state and having all the pain come to them and like brood the depression and the negativity that they have um because mm -hmm. they're not on like the, the genuine pursuit of goodness in some capacity or yeah, haven't transcended that attempt to do it for the sake of itself and are still only like using their leverage as, uh, or kindness as leverage on other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was another am amazing segue for me wanting to ask what you are most grateful now as a product of, you know, a failed suicide attempt and all of the friendships quote unquote that had to fall away as you know not genuine friendships that you have now arrived mm -hmm. to a completely unbelievable state to younger marcus that yeah. Uh, yeah what are you grateful for now um you know what's funny is that the circumstances in my life always change but i think my answer is always going to be the same and it's peace of mind i mm. i don't think that there's anything better than being able to not have this constant nattering going on the inside of my skull about how terrible everything around me is about how stressful everything is i mean like objectively if you look at even just the circumstances i have going on in, in life right now and a lot of them are good so i will preface it with that is that sometimes blessings are stressful too because they mm. have layers of responsibility and stuff and these are all problems that i prayed for years ago so i have no business you know trying to deprecate them but what I will say is that like with the amount of things I have to potentially cause my stress or me stress for the amount of peace of mind that I have, regardless of that today, because of the work that I was willing to do on myself and, and, you know, the people that I have in my life and the systems in place that I'm, that I utilize to make sure that I'm all right to know that like really nothing's worth stressing over as much as I used to, um, to be able to just sit quietly in myself and not need to constantly be busy so I can't, so I don't have to look at me, um, to be able to just look at myself in the mirror and like not hate the person I see, not be filled with guilt and shame and remorse and all these things. It's like, I, that's the one thing in my life I can't put a price on. I'm grateful for every element in my life today, but like that, that is probably the most valuable one to me is peace of mind. No doubt. And the, my key takeaway on that one is like praying for good problems because you mm. will never not have problems, but there are ones that you can be grateful for. Um, yeah. And if you're not on the pursuit of a quality problem, then you will just be bestowed ones that you are resentful of. Um, yeah. For two more exciting questions that I have for you. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to somebody who may be listening and is just considering now 
their relationship with habits or substances and beginning a journey of being graceful to themselves, but taking uh, a, a serious self-inventory on mm. uh, how their choices for themselves are um, affecting other people mm. and their future. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is like, do it for yourself, right? If you're, if you're going to be doing any, like if you're going to take a look at yourself, you want to maybe get sober, you maybe want to kick some sort of addictive habit or whatever. Um, first and foremost is like, don't, don't ground it in trying to appease somebody else, right? No matter what your family says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what your employer says, no matter what your relationship partner says, it's like, don't do it because they want you to figure out if that's what you want for yourself. And if it is, then do it. Right. Um, I think that I've tried to ground my ideals into how I was going to change my life in, um, in the fact that people try to appeal to my emotional nature. Right. Mm. So, um, you know, people would say tons of things like to me all the time, like, can't you see what you're doing to this family? If you really love me, you'd stop. Uh, you're going to die if you keep going on the way you're going and stuff like that. And, um, because those people were not me, I always had this one objection in the back of my mind. I didn't have to say it to them, but I felt that every time is that you couldn't possibly understand. Right? You know who really understands though? Me. So if I decide that's what I want, then I'm not going to convince myself out of it. Right? So I think it's important that I try and figure out is like if there's anyone I'm going to do it for, it's got to be the one person that, you know, whose mind needs to be made up on this. And it's me. Um. So that's what I would say. And like, you know, if I think that a lot of people to assume that, you know, problems with, with drugs and alcohol have strictly to do with the substance themselves. And I think that anyone that's got recovery in their mind um, and, and in their lives and have had tried this for a while, say, will tell you, myself included, has nothing to do with that. Um, we have underlying issues. We have underlying experiences, painful ones, most of us. Um, that just happened to be the thing that we used to cope with that. Um, and there is a different way. And I, I know that because I've been I've been to hell and back multiple times. And uh, I can say that today I don't have to use a crutch like that anymore. And in fact, it's like, I don't know, even if I even if I can use it without consequences today, I wouldn't I have no reason to I have nothing to run from anymore. Mm. Oh, when a mic drop, because <laughs> uh, a thing that I'm always trying to say is you are bigger than the things that you're trying to outrun. Mm. And as I say that sentence, anybody listening can say, or just immediately come up with something that the, even the thought of it is so ugly to them that, oh, I'm going to go do something that feels different. I'll taste something. I will smoke something that makes me feel a little bit different or just makes me stop thinking about the thing that, uh, you know, threatens my sense of security or identity for that matter. Hmm. Um, yeah. So wonderfully said, man. But Thank you. you have the ultimate power of leverage to my next guest. I'm kind of stealing this from Diary of a CEO. But I want you to give me a question that I have to ask my next guest. Ooh, a question that you have to ask your next guest. Wow, I really like that one. This is power. <laughs> this is power. I feel like, what, like it's like that Kanye West song, No One Man Should Have All That Power, you know? <laughs> um, man. I, uh, oh, you really put me on the spot with this one. I, I really like that. <laughs> Give me a second. I'll, and I'll think that's of it. Great. I want to make sure it's like, it's good and it's pointed and, you know, not just a joke. Cause that's yeah. my instant default when I get put in the, 
Um, <laughs> no, it's kind of funny with the stall too, because then people can see how much I fumbled with it. Yeah. Uh, it's genuine. Um, yeah, I think that. Um, I think that uh, maybe something like around um, with the changes that they've tried to implement is like, you know, how has their relationship with uh, with fear been? during that so like if you know Mm. someone who's changed their life um like through the process of change what's your relationship with fear been like um i think that that's a pretty interesting one because i think that i know for myself um that was like a big battle uh that i had through a lot of my changes and the fears were often contradictory too which was really interesting um but i i think that that could probably broach some good conversation no doubt. Yeah. And that's kind of my jam right now is the next book, like waging war on fear, pissed off with a purpose. If you mm. are not driven by love, the alternative essentially has to be fear. Because if mm. you're not striving, then you are running from what's awful. So wonderful. I can't wait. <laughs> there to, you go. Uh, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Marcus. I will have you on many more times um, and Glad many more here, seasons man. of our life. You are yeah, an absolute stud. And I'm incredibly grateful for the man that you've been for me personally and the times that you have spiritually come in handy. And as you said, like paying dividends as our relationship has kind of given us this intelligence that I've helped people as a result of uh, just being your friend. And so you helped me pump color into the world. And yeah, I am incredibly grateful for the man that you've become, the things that you've overcome, uh, the father that you've become. And the way that you're all excited about that is that it should hopefully one day be in my atmosphere. Um, but to yep. see somebody of your caliber entering that field and doing such an awesome job of it, I appreciate you, honestly, man. Thank you so much, man. It was a real pleasure being on here. And I, um, you know, I just hope that anyone that's listening to this episode today, if you think you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, um, you know, just make sure that uh, take take use of some resources. There's a ton that are available to you. Um, and if you live in Canada, uh, a lot of them are free, right? So just food for thought, not saying you have to, but definitely saying the option is there. No doubt. Thank you so much, man. Until next time, this is the Serendipity soundtrack and pumping color into the world one heartbeat at a time. And uh, you make it look easy, man. I love you. Love you too, bro. Cheers. Yeah.